0: Guys, uh, we're rolling. Uh, I'm gonna count us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys. Welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. You can find me on social medias at Tari J, T-A-R-I-J-A-Y.
1: I am Lex Michael. I am all over social media at the Lex Michael.
0: And we're joined by a special guest, our first returning guest. Woo! Lucretia Lyon.
2: Hey guys, since I'm Lucretia Lyon, you can always find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the internet, since there is only one. And I love the sound effects, sorry. Yeah. Good, yeah. yeah.
0: I
1: mean, they're just for you. You're yeah. the only one who gets them. Yeah. There, well, we foley them special. ourselves. Uh-huh. Yeah. We, we paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in our first couple of episodes for the library of sound effects that we did not use. So following the first two, we said, let's foley them ourselves. And you can see we pride ourselves on the the content and the quality of content in our our sound library. Yes,
0: excellently mm. executed. Yes, that's, uh, that's what our we're all guarantee. about. Guarantee. Yeah,
1: mm. brought uh, to you by almond milk. Yes, and pudding balloons. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. mm. Yes. Um, we make our pudding with a hundred (laughs) percent almond milk it's the greatest that's Um, how i
2: make pudding but that's because i can't have the real
0: milk right no i get it girl the the day
1: that you can no longer find missing out in your podcast feed search almond pudding
0: (laughs) yes that will be the name the new sponsored name um but until then uh, if
1: you seek almond pudding Look around you. <laughs>
0: um, if you, this is your first time listening and you don't understand anything that we're talking about, please go back and listen to all the other ones leading up. It's not a serialized show; like you no. can listen to them individually. But all these are very specific references. Well, and
1: I'm starting to remember our bits now. Yeah. So inevitably this will happen where I will start remembering some of these bits and then working some of the, the the bittiness back in. Right.
0: And that's the that's the benefit of listening to all the episodes is like you're really taking part in our con- continuity. There's a there's a shared universe that we're all really taking part in. I see what you're and doing. And if you listen to all of them, oh, it's so good. you will have context for all Of the jokes and the bits.
1: Exactly. It's like the hope is not that that listening to every new episode makes you feel like you have to go do a whole bunch of homework to fully uh, absorb it in its proper context. Our hope is that it makes you want to.
2: I I love this foreshadowing. because, And I love that we turn bits into things when we are together, no matter what (laughs) show we're on, especially when we, like, cross over into other things.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, uh, if you don't know what we do here, um, Lex will tell you.
1: (laughs) He will. I will. So, uh, Tari, you... you're you're black (laughs) did you know i what did you know and i am a white person yes and you and i we grew up differently and we grew up in different regions we grew up in different families and we were exposed to based on our different cultural backgrounds different pieces of media at different times whether it's television or movies or books or music different pieces of art found us at different times we found it and it affected us uh, often in very profound ways and what we do on this show is we share these pieces of media with each other that the other person we feel is missing out on. And in doing so, we share what its significance is to us. And hopefully, we're able to impart that to you, why this affects us and why we think you guys should check it out. We share not just the art, but we share uh, ourselves uh, with yeah. each other and with you guys. It is, as we like to say, the retrospective that's introspective. It's all about sharing art, sharing culture, sharing stories, sharing the love. Hell yeah and also to- a lot of talk about almond milk and pudding yes, yes. It's Those are important. Li- nothing but
0: vaping that. birds
1: <laughs> sonic <laughs> the hedgehog movies mm-hmm. there's more there's there's more yeah that's uh- that's actually it i ran out of the ones <laughs> i remember um
0: uh and we yes uh and today we're doing something a little different um so we are instead of introducing something to each other um we are essentially kind of introducing something to you the audience um if you have followed us from let's say after buzz where we all met um you've probably followed us uh doing different uh, dc cw shows um specifically the superhero arrowverse um and so you may be versed in in what uh in maybe a couple of those shows you may watch all of them uh, or you may watch none of them and you may have found us some other way, maybe through one of our guests. And so what we thought we'd do is we'd sit here and talk about how we got from just one show, which was Arrow, to the current Biggest crossover that they've had in the history of the CWU Arrowverse.
1: Yes, for context, we're recording this the weekend following the airing of Crisis on Earth X, the two-night four-part crossover that brings together Supergirl, Arrow, The Flash, and The Legends of Tomorrow, fending off an invasion by Nazis from the Earth that is so bad, we just don't talk about it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that Harry's just like, yep, yeah, it was the, uh, the 53rd Earth I forgot to mention because I was like, well, no one wants to hear about Nazi-verse.
1: Also, <laughs> really, right up top, this is only for people that like watched it and know these shows a little bit, and then we'll we'll try and contextualize all of this uh, as we dive in. There are, they reference the fact that there's 53 of everybody depending on which Earth in the multiverse you find yourself on, right? So that would imply, in theory, that there is, say, uh, Kara on Earth-1 that we just haven't bumped into. I find that interesting. What the heck am I talking about? Stay tuned. Yes. Ooh, sweet Ooh. tease, bro. Um, But it is it is insane to me that, like, okay, so obviously much is made for good reason of what Marvel Studios has been able to do at the movie theater. And we've watched Warner Brothers and DC try to replicate that model on the big screen with, um, let's say, mixed success. Right. The- they're doing their Marvel Cinematic Universe on television, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, this felt like... Crisis on Earth X felt to me, especially compared to the crossovers they've done in the past, really did feel to me like a a big TV movie and a big-budget TV movie. Yeah, it is. It feels massive. The action sequences are huge and involved and involving. The effects work is crazy, crazy good, and you've got all of these characters colliding. It feels big, but it feels cohesive from one part to the next it feels like they made their Marvel movie in effect mm-hmm. over two nights and four parts on the CW right so it's yeah it's like how did we get there because I do think you could watch Crisis on Earth X and walk away going wow that was really well done I got mm-hmm. involved I felt moved by certain things that certain things are funny certain things were exciting you could enjoy it but if you've been tracking all of these shows since season one of Arrow. I mean, bear in mind, after the current season of all four of these shows wraps, we're talking about, in six years, 16 seasons worth of programming Yep. that will ultimately contextualize what this crossover is. Now, if you're sitting there going, good lord, 16 seasons, that's overwhelming. That's just way too much. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to make time for that. God, look, I get it. I, ser- I seriously do. I completely understand. However, I would encourage you to do so if you have any inclination whatsoever if there's any way that you can make the time because oh good gravy once you do that once you're tracking all of these characters and all of these story arcs the highs become orders of magnitudes higher mm-hmm. than they would have been otherwise the emotional blows land so much more heavily than they would have otherwise and is that not why we go to stories like this to to feel uh, to be made to feel whatever it is that they want us to feel to the maximum degree that we're able to feel it. Is that yeah. just a me thing? No,
0: I think you're right. And what I would say to kind of add on to that is like, even if you didn't want to invest the 16 seasons, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot of your life. Yes. I think that even if you were to just watch one of these shows and really invest in those characters in that show they're serviced really well in this crossover as well so you can still have as much of that context and still enjoy it um it just all depends on which characters you identify with the most and that's one of the another one of the really good things about this full universe is there are so many different characters that you can identify with and see yourself in uh throughout the whole Arrowverse which kind of allows you to enjoy it no matter how much or how little you've watched it.
1: And watching them go from, and we can track this in greater detail, but watching them go from the first season of Arrow, where it seemed like they were allergic to anything comic booky, to becoming uh, just as comic booky as far as like crazy, crazy deep cuts like DC Comics mythology, the craziest, most cosmic, uh, super powered, ridiculous stuff. Yeah, like. Uh, Just as much as uh, Marvel is, if not in certain cases, more so. It almost feels like, you know how crazy deep cuts Guardians of the Galaxy was when that first movie was released? It's like that, but multiple times a week. Right. And
0: because they have more time and more ability to just start weaving those in, that like, if there is a a renegade writer on any one of these shows, they could essentially just go, all right, great. I'm bringing in a hive. Yeah. And then essentially that becomes part of the universe. And now anyone who writes after them gets to splash around in that universe. Yes. Um, Which I think is really exciting. Um, Something I want to do is before you mentioned like just starting with Arrow, but I'd, I'd like to go a little bit further back in that like, Super Arrow is the way it was at the beginning where it was allergic to uh, comic book stuff because of what had come before it. I mean, we got, um, let's say, for example, let's start with Batman uh, 89, Yes, where um, it was one of the first big mainstream uh, superhero movies that was well certainly of successful. this certainly
1: of this era. Right. I mean, they, they existed before that, but I think you definitely have to go back to Donner's Superman uh, a decade earlier than that. Yeah, to come up with something else that was anywhere near as impactful. I mean, Batman when it first came out in '89 lit the world on fire. Yeah, I mean that was just like an unprecedented phenomenon when it was released. Mm-hmm.
0: And then from there, it sparked a, a... What I would say, like, kind of a revolution in that there were more superhero things that were being created of varying success.
2: Yeah, because yeah. um, that was the same year that The Punisher with Dolph Lundgren came out in 1989. Was and then um, in 1990, that's when they started branching out to TV, which would have been the 1990 version of The Flash with John that's Wesley right. Shipp. That's right. Who most people would know. Traditionally, as Henry Allen, yeah, and n- now, now or Jake Jay Garrick, um, yeah.
1: which is again, it's yeah. so crazy that we live in that world now. Um, and then
2: I grew up watching that. and Was so happy that they made a new, even better one.
1: But and but like yeah, DC DC really did own the space for a while, mm-hmm. as far as you know, throughout the nineties. Even though yes, uh, eventually at the end of the nineties, we got to Batman and Robin, which put the whole franchise in deep freeze, and many people suspected would be the death knell to the entire superhero genre on screen. Right. Wasn't, but they owned that space effectively. Uh until actually no, and I was gonna say until the two thousands, but no, really they continued to own that space th- through most of the two thousands with their Dark Knight franchise. That's which true. which yeah. I think you were talking about what came before Arrow that informed what Arrow was in its original incarnation. Yes. I would say tell both of you tell me if you agree or disagree. I would say the the intersection of the Dark Knight and Smallville is pretty much what they were aiming for.
2: Oh yes. yes. <clears throat> And that's exactly why like Gotham even exists because that was the original idea before it became Smallville. And that's the thing is Christopher Nolan's Batman is more so than even like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and then Brian Singer's X-Men sort of started the resurgence back. And then, but I feel like what got it back into TV was more of the Christopher Nolan because it was a way scaled down yeah and that was what they were like we could do that on TV people are still gonna see Batman even though these villains aren't say necessarily as comic booky as people had seen in the past these were more grounded villains and that's sort of what opened the door for TV right yeah. right
0: yeah uh, Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy essentially mm-hmm. um, brought superheroes down. To Earth, like mm-hmm. in if you go back to yeah, Donner's yeah. Superman, um, it still had a very light comic booky feel. And you could get away with goofy things like flying backwards around the Earth. I to would. Turn I back. Yeah. love
1: that movie to death. I would still argue you can't necessarily get away with that.
0: I mean, but it's more acceptable. But then it's yeah. less
1: egregious than it would have been certainly in The Dark Knight Rises if Bruce defeated Bane by flying backwards around the <laughs> Earth in the in <laughs> right. the Bat a thousand times. Yes. That movie though, I do want to see quite yeah, a bit. Like, like he's like, got damn. he's got the bomb, and the kid's like, it's Batman. And he just flies away, and you don't see the explosion, you just see the the spinning and the spinning and the spinning, and then it goes off, and you just see like a star around Earth, mm-hmm. and that's how it ends. Ooh. And then it's like, it's the shot uh, at the end, right, uh, in Italy, where Alfred's at the cafe, and he sees Bruce in the movie. Same shot, but he's just on fire. He's just fully <laughs> sitting there casually. Christian Bale sitting casually, like nods at him with a half smile on his face, mm-hmm. but he's fully engulfed in flames. Everybody in the cafe is running and screaming, but he's just like. <laughs> I was Batman. Now he's, yeah. And now he's, he's Firestorm. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, now he's Firestorm, and everybody's like, wow, this whole trilogy was a secret yep. backdoor sure. Firestorm origin, <laughs> yep. and this is brilliant. More, please. Thank you. Um,
0: I also like that concept because it also makes me think that you've essentially doomed the city to continuously keep being blown up. Like, he only gets it far enough to where it, it blows up, he reverses it and then it blows up again. So people keep experiencing this over and over and over. And I would like to imagine that in this verse, since it's so grounded in reality, they might even remember every time that they die. So it just gets real grimdark.
1: And that's how we get to Batman and Batman v Superman. Yes.
2: That that explains (laughs) that so much more now. He was already
1: just (laughs) real freaked out and mad. And then Superman destroyed Metropolis. And he's yep. like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> done. No. Why'd you say that name? Mm-hmm. I'm finished. Um, but um, so speaking speaking of Batman. Yes. Um, it, uh, so Batman's rogues gallery, or at least a large swath of his rogues gallery, Lucretia, as you were saying, relatively mm-hmm. very down to earth. Most of his villains are not heavily superpowered. And even the ones that are, I think, lend themselves to, to say, like, earthiness and groundedness more than, say, something like, I don't know, Savitar. But you can take a good portion of that Rogues gallery and you can tell stories that are set as Nolan did in a relatively realistic. I bring this up just because it was very clear to me for the first couple of years that Arrow really wanted to be a Batman show.
2: Yeah, I mean it like, was essentially a Batman more, show. More than it
1: wanted to do any other thing. It seemed like it really wanted to, for the first actually for the first three years. And I think that's a big part of why we get uh, Raz al Ghul in the League of Assassins is because of how much they wanted to be a Batman show. That character that we meet in season yeah. one, that Oliver Queen, is not Oliver Queen, and, as we know him from the source material, and the yes. funny
2: thing is, is instead instead of Ra's al Ghul, a Batman villain, we were supposed to have other more Batman villains, the Suicide Squad, which that's they, right, they,
1: which they ended up, up, which ended yeah. up, yeah, like that that got cut off, I guess, because Warner's wanted to do the movie, yeah. and there was a big, there were a lot of conversations back and forth about, well, now that we're going to do this big interconnected universe, we want to be able to play with all of the toys that we can play with. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be some reluctance on the part of the movie arm of Warner's in dc to let them play with all the toys so we saw certain characters midway through certain seasons midway through story arcs unceremoniously removed from the table but now they get to play with like superman you know yeah. what i mean like they're they're making wonder woman and bruce wayne references so we'll we'll see but not for nothing i don't know that you need the trinity at this point i would have said like first couple of years like how are you gonna do this without like at all of these other characters. And, and now I'm going, this whole roster, this massive ensemble across four shows, you almost don't need your Batman or your Wonder Woman or your Superman. And two,
2: I mean, Oliver Queen was a good Batman Bruce Wayne for years, but now he's finally Oliver Queen, and I'd rather just to, have yeah, that. He actually feels like the Green <laughs> Arrow a
0: little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, kind of rolling backwards a little bit, You, as you mentioned, they wanted Oliver Queen to be Batman, but they also wanted to distinguish themselves, and so they wanted to make a Batman that kills. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they really wanted to dive into that world.
1: Yes. Uh, So I want to pause real quick because I want to jump back uh, for us personally, even further than that. Were you guys, how into comics were you guys when you were growing up, if at all?
2: Yeah, when I was growing up, um, my dad would read comic books to me and he was very into like the whole universe, both Marvel and DC. So we grew up with a, you know, pretty well knowing about everybody and his two favorites were the flash and the green arrow so especially when those were the two picks for the cw this was really exciting and these were characters i was very familiar with but that's also why a lot of reasons arrow was so frustrating because i'm like oliver queen is more like ed begley jr than bruce wayne i mean he he is very much like a social justice warrior
1: i would not have thought to phrase it that way like that's not the comparison i would have thought of but now that you've made it that's absolutely perfect
2: (laughs) <laughs> well, I like Ed Bradley Jr. than say like Leonardo DiCaprio, even right. though he, Oliver Queen looks more like Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, like, like he, he
1: looks, looks a little bit like yeah. Charlie Hunnam.
2: Yeah, I think exactly. And I think he'd be a perfect movie one. Yeah. Didn't I
1: feel like they were talking to him at one point about like, well, would you play Green Arrow in a movie? And he was like, I guess. So Tari, like, were you into comics at all growing up? To what extent? Who were your guys? How does it relate to your experience watching these shows, if it does at all? Um. So this. I'd say,
0: I guess, going back, I uh, wasn't super into co- uh, comics until later in my life. I most most of my exposure were the swath of um, animated series like X Men animated series, Batman yeah. animated series, Superman animated series. Like all of those were kind of my big exposures. In addition to like Spider Man the animated series, like they were all really Spider-Man. well done.
2: Spider-Man active
1: yeah. um, <laughs> See high production value yep. totally. sound effects.
0: Um so for me, this is like having live action versions of the animated shows that I had watched. Like I didn't get into comics until I was introduced to them later in uh in college. No. But what about you, Lex?
1: I honestly cannot remember a time where these characters and these worlds were not a part of my life. Now, there have been, there were long gap periods for me where I wasn't really following comics at all. And I'd go back to them after even like a couple of years and go, wow, I forgot like all of this. So let's go back and recontextualize for myself. Um, But yeah, I mean, this this is my... This is my childhood, essentially, and so to see now, we live in an age where in every direction you look now, there is some big part of my childhood that is being thrown up on a screen on a grand scale, whether it's Marvel at the movies or DC on TV or like the Marvel Netflix stuff, it's all and it's all like massive and interconnected and it feels like reading those comic books felt because you can track these individual characters but every so often they all get together to bounce off each other and yes they end up uh, teaming up to to oppose some massive often existential threat but you show up because you like these characters and you like seeing these characters bump off of each other and relate to each other and that's what that's what we get to see and not for nothing these shows especially the DCCW shows they're straight-up soap operas. They're right. straight-up soap operas That's with superpowers. <laughs> but not for nothing, so are comic books. Yes. Comic books are very much like soap operas are. Uh, comic books are all second-act stories, right? Like, mm-hmm. once you do the origin... You're you're into your second act, right? Like the third act is they either die or retire, and then you have no more stories. So you can play with that idea as like an Elseworlds thing or a hypothetical, but you can't actually end your story. And so within that, you have to come up with literally every avenue of drama that you possibly can. And so much of that, especially when you track these characters for years up to decades and decades comes from their interpersonal relationships and the drama that comes out of that, which of course is incredibly soap opera-ish. So every time I say the soap opera thing, and occasionally you'll hear somebody Mm. bristle a little bit because the idea of thinking, and I I get it to a point, the idea of thinking of it as a soap opera makes them feel less cool about it, but like, guys, they're soap operas. And And that's okay, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I just, that's, that's what... That's what they are. And to see that they're not afraid of it anymore. That was, my again, my biggest issue with the first couple of years of Arrow. Is that they seem so allergic to taking full potential of the premise. Right. And they finally, once you introduce the Flash, I was like, uh, like all right. I just like grabbed my seatbelt. But I didn't really question why I had a seatbelt on my office chair. But I put it on. Yeah. And... I was good, like, now, what, five years later? This is the most, this is, again, just as deep a roster of comic book characters as Marvel Studios is playing with. And that's even without your Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern. And, yeah.
2: And, too, as you say, I mean, a lot of people gristle at the term soap opera, which usually makes me want to punch them in the face because I'm a resident soap opera lover. I still watch General Hospital to this day. And guess where most of your... Uh, TV or even the movie actors. A lot of these guys came from soaps. All came up from the soaps, and so it is sort of like. But those are the kind of people that can have these emotional beats, and even soaps. People dismiss it and think that it's all just about love and you know all these like cheating and adultery and things like that. And you're like, no, no, no. Um, on General Hospital, we have the mob, we have spies, we have even had aliens, and we've had vampires, and that's what spawned Port Charles. But even before that, there was dark shadows like this yeah, is dark not shadows unheard was the soap. Of. yeah i mean yeah. not for
1: nothing like there were there were a number of these throughout yeah. like night time so even twin peaks my favorite thing that people have made was essentially a riff on this entire wave yeah. of primetime soap operas that came in the mid to late 80s this is that with way more special effects this is that with king shark uh yeah
2: exactly and that's the thing is as long as you put um a cgi shark in it little boys will watch it you know, yeah. and it's okay.
1: Not for then. We've talked mm-hmm. about this. I grew up in a house where my mom watched Passions a lot. <laughs> and it was always on when I would get home from school. And Passions, yes, much like any soap opera, it does deal yeah. with the, the relationships and the drama and the wildly unnecessary drama and the ups and the downs. And we drag out every storyline we possibly can for a preposterous length of time. But there's also like witches and demons and a, a doll that a witch has that comes to life and is a little person that hangs out with her, but he's she's the only one who knows that he's alive and can communicate with him. It was a weird program. Yeah,
2: yeah. and uh, Jensen Ackles fought, you know, demon-possessed people on uh, Days of Our Lives long before Supernatural, guys. Hashtag yeah. days did it yeah. first. Yeah. Um, but, so,
1: but so, yeah, I mean, these are essentially primetime soap operas with mu- with a much bigger effects budget. Yeah. yeah. But I would also say too we've had we've had interconnected universes on TV before. Uh Buffy and Angel, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've had even the the Norman Lear stuff like All in the Family, the Jeffersons and the shows that spun out of that that were connected if only Loosely, Laverne and Shirley spun off from Happy Days, for example. Um, There is precedent for shared universes between shows, but to my knowledge, there is no precedent for anything of this scale as far as creating a universe on television where crossovers and continuity are a big part of it. Right.
2: Well, I mean, speaking of, since we did talk about it earlier, the Dick Wolf universe. Yeah, all is the and pretty and well. orders. Yeah, all That's the long That's a good point. Orders, yeah, all the, the And, orders. The, this, and yeah. if you
1: do the, what is it, the, the Tommy Westfall theory, which is that Tommy Westfall from St. Elsewhere, where you find out that the whole yeah. thing is taking place in his brain, but St. Elsewhere has crossed over in little ways, like tiny, tiny little ways, mm-hmm. if only like passing references mm-hmm. to other shows. And so the build it, you can find it online, this massive chart about how almost every show from like the late 80s onward that you've heard of could be potentially connected to each other. And if they're connected to Saint Elsewhere. They all only exist in the mind of Tommy Westfall. Whoa. Mm. I think we
2: need to do some serious research on that and like do a whole podcast on it's that very
1: bonk. But then
2: like, look about John Munch, like just thinking not even in the Dick Wolf world, John Munch has crossed over to X-Files. X-Files. He, he shows came, up on the wire for yeah, a second. Yeah. And, um, homicide life on the street is where the character even started. That's right. And then he was even in arrested development. That's so right. arrested development mm. is connected to law and order special victims unit. And
1: by extension to the wire, to the X-Files, yes. uh, Morley cigarettes show up in other things. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It's... it's gra- Yeah, because so, Morley
2: cigarettes show so, up in David Lynch's right. universe. So, uh,
1: technically, yeah. technically, that's the biggest shared universe if you buy into this theory. <laughs> but they, the don't, they don't cross over in big ways that yeah. shape the continuity right. of every show going forward. No. Yeah. Um, I
0: will say that DC has done this in the animated verse, though. That's the, a good point. Yes. Yeah. So, they started with the animated series, then superman the animated series and then they had their crossover which then uh kind of spiraled into the justice league series and then unlimited is also folded into that universe as well um i feel like there was one more show one more dc show there was uh
1: batman animated series there was superman the animated series justice league justice league unlimited there was static shock for a minute yes Um, that's also in their universe i feel like there was one more that i'm forgetting Batman beyond oh batman beyond
0: yeah. yeah Like, um so those all were sharing their universe and they even have like long continuity pieces so like for example in one of the Justice League episodes they reference back to something that happened in Superman the animated series that has essentially Affects the climax of that season. Yeah.
1: Um, well, I and I wasn't no spoilers. really... spoilers. Yeah. Well, I wasn't even thinking in terms of animation, but since you bring it up, that's actually a fantastic example, especially given that if you get to the end of Justice League Unlimited, the finale of Justice League Unlimited really ties together that entire animated universe. It ties together uh, Batman, Superman, the Justice League stories, references Batman Beyond, references uh, Mask of the Phantasm as well. So like, it really does tie everything together and give it closure yeah in a way that yeah actually that makes it incredibly relevant and you do you get an ending of sorts which is pretty rare in comic book stories Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah uh but i feel like now we're we're just like the the amount of coordination and uh i would say the amount of like scheduling nightmares that they have to go through because live action is a lot different than animation. Like, right. you, scheduling voice actors is a lot easier.
1: You could jump in yeah. and knock out your whole episode in a couple hours tops.
0: Right. But now they have to coordinate a, through across at least four different teams uh, in Vancouver, which at a certain point, for one of the original uh, crossovers between Supergirl and The Flash... That one was between L.A. and Vancouver, right? Because because
1: yeah. lest we forget, Supergirl's first season was on CBS, which I didn't. I don't totally understand why that call was made, especially because the CBS audience I think tends to be a good deal older than the CW audience by and large.
2: I think they thought that they would get their viewers who view The Big Bang Theory, which also skewed younger, and was because a lot of it was scheduled even you know after that initially. So I feel like there was some sort of because CBS is the network for Star Trek and that's where The Flash the original the 1991 was. The, yeah. So they had oh, had pro- DC properties before. So I get why they tried but then they realized, yeah, maybe not. That, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: But it made especially because yeah. it was the same team, it made so much more sense for the second season to move production to Vancouver Vancouver and put it all under the same umbrella. Right. Um and then we introduced we introduced in season 2 of The Flash. So okay, actually, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. See uh season 1 of Arrow was essentially I only watched the first season once and it was I jumped onto Arrow about halfway through season two Yes, started watching because I assumed in its first season based on what I heard about it that I just wasn't really the audience for
2: it even I, you know, as a woman who would have been, you know, in my early 20s at the time, likely their biggest audience because I was a comic book fan and I had been boycotting the CW since they canceled Reaper and Veronica Mars. That's right. um, I, I did not, but until they showed that the Flash might come because I was like, this is not really my kind of show. It's going to make me mad. Like, when Smallville. I also, like
1: I was saying the whole time, mm. I'm sitting there going like, okay, I like some of this, but no. like, you're not even really doing Green Arrow, let yeah. alone any other part of this universe that I truly want to see for every oh my god that's Deathstroke's mask on a thing in the sand like for every one of those there were like three, four, five episodes at a time where I was like this isn't bad this just yeah. isn't what I would come to a comic book based story for and so okay so season 1 was, was the undertaking we yes. get Oliver Queen's origin story which uh, for those of you guys that are just catching up Oliver Queen, Rich Playboy, very Bruce Wayne like, except unlike Bruce Wayne, never really experienced much tragedy in his life. Was right. very was like the wor- was uh, was the real embodiment of the Bruce Wayne Playboy persona that Bruce Wayne puts on. That was Oliver Queen, very very entitled, very privileged, very bratty, mm-hmm. uh, very. Uh, he was a womanizer. He was just not no. not the best dude. Uh, went out on a yacht, a family yacht, yes. which. Capsizes. Right.
0: Keep in mind, he was all, he was on this yacht with his girlfriend's sister, sister. Yep. and his dad.
1: Yes, <laughs> which is weird. And, uh, and that hey, part you know.
2: of it is just very odd. And that was one of the things that I didn't like either because I was like, "What's the deal with the sister?" is someone who was a big fan of Black Canary in the comics and was so happy that they finally had a real one because they really didn't use her on Smallville very much, Chloe who kind of becomes Felicity in a way, yeah. um, was used more for that role as well. So it's interesting to see that that sort of same thing happened on the show because they really didn't have a good grasp of who Black Canary was. Right. And um, who, you know, Dinah Lance would be the comic book names. And I feel like they changed the name because they wanted to make her more CW. And like when Dinah Lance is a cool, kick-ass punk rock chick.
1: It is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she is. Yeah. There was that book, there was that... Um. There's a Black Canary book Not too long ago Pretty pretty recently That ran for a handful of issues But it was Black Canary reimagined She's still Black Canary She still does her Black Canary thing But she's also the lead singer In a punk band Yes Which was They actually released Like a tie-in album With a couple yeah. of tracks It was like This is meant to be uh, Black Canary's band Which I thought was really cool Nice um, But so yeah So Oliver Queen's boat Is capsized Yeah uh, His girlfriend's sister Sarah Lance <laughs> Believed dead In the capsizing of the boat He and his father Robert Queen End up on on a little raft together, where Robert Queen blows his head off in front of his son.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is context there was, for this, yeah. right? Um, because they were there was no food, so he wanted his son to survive, and then he also kind of set him off on a journey to get revenge if he survived, right? Um, and so the the big thing with this show was that they were really leaning in to the what at the time was the CW trope. Where they put in drama where it didn't need to be, i.e., the sister, yeah. and then they also really try to um, be a little bit exploitive in terms of like showing people's bodies and gratuitous like
2: love scenes. Yeah, and things I, I, of that I, sort. I will say I have no problem with that whatsoever. Stephen Amell is, is, speak for myself. is yeah. pretty jacked. Yes, yeah. yeah. I have no um, problem. That's
1: salmon them. ladder. Yeah. Like <laughs> it doesn't do for me what I think maybe it does for you, Lucretia, yeah. But I get it.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and so un- until they started the, do until they, basically, they did the backdoor pilot for the Flash, um, they would avoid saying, char- like, characters' comic book names, like, so the
1: arrow And they himself- wouldn't even say, yeah. it, right? It was right. Like, the vigilante, the vid- hood. Yeah, the- yeah, yeah. Malcolm um,
2: actually is the only one to say, you know, make a joke about calling him the Green Arrow. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So
0: they were essentially trying to make it as realistic as possible in that like people don't get hokey names when they're being pursued by the police and things of that sort and then they they started uh doing the flash which was the complete opposite which was uh they embraced the names they embraced the kind of hokey cheesiness of comic books which started to bleed over in their first crossover
2: yeah, so and you, I you, felt like Cisco was like you know it's sort like the of name machine. The, the name machine, and it made so much sense because Cisco represents all of us, any of us that have grown up and he's loved like, this he's show. He's like he's the fanboy, yeah, yeah, like he's a, the one and, who really
1: nerds out yeah. over all of this stuff.
2: And that's exactly what we'd do. We'd start naming these people if we didn't already have this context, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I, uh, Tari, you just used the the phrase what hokey cheesiness i think you just oh, said i do yeah. take slight issue with that i would go with something more like goofy earnestness i feel like and i've i've talked about this in relation to the flash specifically quite a bit. I think a lot of people especially when Flash first started, they would have used words like hokey, cheesy, this is super cornball whatever.
2: Cuz they've never seen what it could have been in well, the 1990s. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what I what I think is the Flash is so so so
1: earnest and yeah. so unashamed yeah. of being earnest. And I feel like at a certain point we culturally lost touch with the idea that earnestness was totally okay and and it wasn't something we need to shy away from like it's not you're not suddenly not cool because you unabashedly care about stuff yeah
2: and that is who barry allen is as well as you know you know as i say cisco too cisco is very important i feel like cisco is sort of the felicity of that show sort of like the next in come in and there is sort of our eyes like as the nerd that's there trying to you know see all of these heroes but also a hero themselves yeah
1: so so like you say like it's it's really when they introduce flash that this all changes because season one in the finale we have this big city shaking villainous plot Mm -hmm. but depicted in still a way that grounds it in a not totally comic booky reality despite the outlandishness of the scheme right we get into season two and suddenly we're Starting to wade into those waters a little more fully because not only do you get Deathstroke in season two, you introduce the Flash. And suddenly you introduce this entire big... It's almost like the moment Barry Allen walks into that show, it's almost... It's not unlike the tag at the end of that first Iron Man when Nick Fury shows up to tell him that you're part of a larger universe and you just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. That was the moment. As soon as you introduce Barry Allen, whether or not the Flash series went, whether or not we got these other shows, that's the moment where you plant a flag and say, this universe is bigger than this guy.
0: Hey guys, this is Feature Tari. I'm just jumping in here real quick. We wanted to do a shout out while we had your attention. So uh, take it away, Lex.
1: Yeah. So Elizabeth Boyer at Ellie's J Boyer on Twitter sent us a really nice direct message. She said, I legit have no idea how to Twitter, but I'm listening to the ep right now and geeking TF out about Lex's stepsister from planet weird reference, because for whatever reason, I have a very vivid memory from my childhood watching this movie and the girl freaking out all, I fear the wind. And anytime I've asked anyone about it, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, and I love the podcast. That is all. See, I told you that was a real movie. I I didn't disagree. You flipped the table, and you were like, "You're a liar, sir." And I was like, "All right, somebody's gonna corroborate this I at mean, some point." Just because I call you a liar doesn't mean I disagree. You do. I internalize I, I it pretty intensely.
0: <laughs>
2: remember that title? I'm like trying to think of who was in it, sister, uh, stepsister. I from do not remember the it. cast. I know, but I remember I was like, that, that
1: they fear the wind. Yeah. Cool.
0: Don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> uh, and back to the show.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and right. two, even when Barry came in, like this was also the season where we had Sarah as a canary. I mean, they were not even calling like full on, and they've sort of had these mantles and transitions with characters. So we at least were getting at least more characters like, you know, Roy Harper and stuff like that, which would have been familiar from the comics. Right, but yeah, uh, it varies when it's just like, nope, yep, we're going full in. Yes. You know?
0: Yeah, well, I feel like once you introduce the idea of metahumans, you can't keep the universe grounded anymore. You have to really double down on the idea that these big, giant, destructive and or Benevolent forces exist in this universe and you have to really embrace that in order for it to work
1: And this guy's got a bow and arrow none of this makes sense (laughs) Uh, But exactly and immediately on Flash we lean into it so so heavily and the tone of Flash was a complete 180 from the tone of Arrow and for the longest time They really were like the TV Batman and Superman as far as the way that their tones and personalities played off of each other Now of course as we've alluded to the longer these shows play, the more and more comfortable I think the creators became with letting them be Green Arrow and The Flash as opposed to hitting the Batman-Superman dynamics so intensely. Yeah. But in that first season of Flash, you introduce the craziest, most comic booky, sci-fi fantasy concepts, so much so that very early in season two— Victor Garber, one of our great actors, has a scene in which he uses a whiteboard to explain the theory of the multiverse. And I swear to God, when we got a scene on television where Victor Garber explained the DC multiverse to this room full of uh, Team Flash and, by extension, us, the audience, swear to God, I like I rolled a tear because I was like, I, I seriously never thought much. Like we're about to get Avengers: Infinity War. I grew up assuming that we'd never see anything like this in live action on this scale and taken this seriously, even when it's all very lighthearted. They approach it very seriously with such earnestness. And so every time we get, we're still getting moments like that. The fact that we just did a crisis story and we have years worth of continuity to inform what we're seeing in this crisis story. That's like, that's magic to me. Like I hate to be, I do, I don't want to be, I don't like these words, but corny or cheesy about it. But it it like really does like it makes my heart sing in ways that n- few other things do.
0: Yeah. I first of all, I I want to recontextualize the idea of corniness cheesiness mm-hmm. being bad. And that it, like, it always sounds dismissive yeah. the way people use it. Right. To me. Like soap like,
2: opera. Yeah, as a yeah. big
0: pun guy. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. I love things that like I I guess I equate earnestness with cheesiness and that like I feel like there's a, a there's a ins- inspirational aspect to to how earnest things are but like it also feels like a I guess a non-realistic thing in that we live in a terrible world. So like, yes. when you get those things, <laughs>
1: we live in a truly terrible, terrible world, worlds. you guys. Uh, you see, the, you see the news from last night. It's about to get a whole lot worse. Oh. Uh, yeah. Anyway, let's so,
2: keep it yeah. on. Our
1: yeah, yeah, but we, right. but but right. And we I agree with you that. totally. And that's what I think one of the most important things that tends to get overlooked about superheroes, and it bums me out because people, I think, look at. Even if it's just the goofy outfits. And yes, I love this stuff about as much as I love my own family. But I'll be the mm-hmm. first person to say, oh, yeah, on the surface, it's all ridiculous. Yeah, It is like, it is super, super goofy. Still f-
2: looking at this Robin picture, I'm like, there is something clearly missing from this um, uh, photo. There are no nipples on this suit. What is up with that? <laughs> um, Chris O'Donnell I, hates me. But I do me. think, especially <laughs> in the
1: case of characters like the Flash, uh, Superman, Supergirl, Yeah, it's it's about that earnestness that earnestness is crucial because without it you lose the fundamental core of that character and part of the value of superheroes. I think especially for young people is it's it's something to aspire to and it's it's a presence that reminds you that it matters that you make an effort to be the best version of yourself that you can be they actually they really hit this right on the head in a way that. That in another show without proper context might have come off really clunky, but in Crisis on Earth X, there's a line I believe that Oliver has uh, where he references the fact that it is the Strong's duty to protect the weak. That was Mm -hmm. actually
2: one of my favorite lines of the whole show because it just sort of demonstrated what's the difference between the heroes and the villains is that they know it is their duty to protect people and the villains take advantage of it. Yes,
1: exactly. (laughs) And so I think that's when people, when people reference what I perceive as earnestness as corny or cheesy, I uh, typically, the way I hear it is it's a bit dismissive and it bums me out because I feel like, we all could do with a little more of that whether or not we get it in a package with these like brightly colored outfits and and super and the speed force and and psychic gorillas and all of that yeah that's not even necessarily that important i think it is what is being conveyed in these stories i think is absolutely crucial i think you need to find that somewhere whether or not this is the avenue that you choose
0: yeah um and so in bringing up Earth X, this this crisis crossover. That's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I I kind of everyone in the sphere of the nerdy sphere has been saying this is the best crossover to date. Um, and so we've had about four or five crossovers leading up to this. And
1: not necessarily on this scale. I mean, the first crossover was, what was it? The Flash versus Arrow. And right. uh, no, World's Finest was the Flash and... Yeah, uh, Brave and the Bold. Brave in the yeah, Bowl. and the Bold. World's Ball. Finest yeah. was the Supergirl yeah. Flash crossover in, in the first season of Supergirl. Yeah. That's right. And then... And, and that then, first crossover was the one, like they fought Boomerang and they fought uh, somebody else. It um, was, they, Clock, they, it King
2: was Clock King played by Robert Nepper. What? Yeah, He was? He was whoa, Clock whoa, King. wow. I
1: Wait. completely forgot about Nepper. Um, but I remember them fighting Boomerang. Right.
0: Uh, I thought
1: it was, no, no, it was Rainbow Rider. Yes. Um, And that
2: was it. Clock King is the next one, actually. Clock King as when they transition into Legends, uh, the backdoor pilot. And I was like, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. See, Um, it's
1: like, I've seen most of these seasons once. So like the big stuff really sticks with me. Yeah. Like the... Oh my god, like season one finale of The yeah. Flash in my is one of my favorite pieces of television that's ever been made and I've watched it now, I can't tell you how many times, and every single time it just completely obliterates me emotionally. <laughs> um well,
2: well it's like Raven the Bold and the Flash you was know, that first crossover is one of my favorite moments between Oliver and Barry, is where Barry comes into Oliver torturing someone and he's like, Hey, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh oh, Barry, oh, this but, is how you do things. And he's really? like, I watched my mother die in front of me. He's like, So did I, so did I. <laughs> and and he's um, like, Oh, well, I'm just not as emotionally healthy as you, I guess. Whatever. But <laughs> like, so real real just quick, just because we
1: we hit the origin of Oliver Queen, or we actually diverge from it a little bit. Yeah. After he sees his father kill himself, both capsizes, he ends up going on this five year odyssey wherein he this Playboy, this selfish, spoiled entitled Playboy, is reformed into this this one man army, this killing machine with mm-hmm. a bow and arrow. And then eventually makes his way back to his home city to begin this, uh, uh roaring rampage of revenge. You might say, uh, the flash Barry Allen, uh, when he was a, a child watched his mother get, murdered and his father was imprisoned for the murder of his mother when in fact his father was innocent of the crime it was eobard thawne an evil speedster from hundreds of years (laughs) in the future went back in time to murder the mother of his arch nemesis the flash in the hopes that maybe it would prevent the flash from being The Flash. Cut to many years later, Barry Allen is working as a forensic scientist because he wants to be involved with the police department, so hopefully he can prove his father's innocence. One night, he is in his lab. Lightning strikes the lab. He is doused in a combination of lightning and chemicals. Becomes comatose for a minute, wakes up, and has t- the ability to tap into something called the Speed Force, which endows him with superhuman speed, uh, great amounts of strength, and yeah. a power set that even now he's learning to expand. And this is where we, we introduce, yeah, we introduce metas, we introduce the concept of speedsters, and there, now there's like 30 of those guys. Uh-huh. Um, oh. But that's, yeah, that is where the wider, more comic booky DC universe on TV was born.
2: Oh, and I was wrong about Clock King. I went to check because yes. I was very confused, but because I was like, I remember him being on both shows like around the same time, but it wasn't actually a crossover. Uh, Clock King appears first in the Flash uh, Power Outage episode, which was just before the uh, crossover with Arrow. It's the episode just before. And then he then later appears on Arrow in season two. uh, You know, or is in the end of Arrow season two first, and then is on The Flash. Yeah. Kind of coming back and sort of bringing a villain on both shows. So it was technically a crossover, just not the one I was thinking. Right, but That
1: first crossover yeah. felt a little bit like a test balloon of sorts. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, yeah. well, we've got these two shows. Now, Let what happens when we, we do throw these pieces together again? We introduced the Flash on Arrow, but then we sent him off to his own show. What happens now when we take... This set of characters, this set of characters, mash them together. How will people feel about us doing this with these properties on this channel?
2: And I guess that's why they chose like a villain like Clock King with the, you know, a recognizable actor like uh, Robert Nepper that was in Arrow Season 2 to be like, oh yeah, we'll bring him on The Flash. Like, (laughs) same Earth at this time. We only have this one Earth. Right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, I mean, they, it was nice that they kind of brought in, uh, rogues from uh, like i guess recognizable rogues for those crossovers um which i guess i will say that i never thought we'd see rainbow raider on on mm-hmm. television uh, anywhere yeah <laughs> literally um, anywhere <laughs> uh so that was really nice but yeah i agree it it did Feel like a little like them dipping their toes because we throughout all of the the run of these shows we get little bit of world building crossovers like the clock yep. king thing or like Felicity coming over to to a Central City or vice versa. Um, yeah, because she
2: dated Barry first. Uh
0: yeah. Yes. Did they date? Yes. Yeah. A, a bit. Okay. A little bit. Um, I know I wanted them to be together, but um, <laughs> they
1: did not have very nice yeah, chemistry. Cute. Yeah.
0: But the the crossovers were very much, um, especially that first one was very much. This is the Flash and this is Arrow, and so like you just drink got full to- and <laughs> descend.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so it wasn't until I would say the uh, the Legends of Today, Legends of Yesterday, that it felt like a true crossover where. These were almost indistinguishable sh- episodes and shows.
1: Yes. So I guess let's talk about how we start to set up the Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, we introduced Sarah Lance uh, mm-hmm. fairly early in yes. Arrow. And Sarah Lance uh, was trained by the League of Assassins, is super good at killing folks, and wear, wears a mask, hangs out, uh, chilling, beating up criminals with uh, with Team Arrow as the canary. Is, uh spoilers I guess, is unceremoniously killed in what, it was season three?
2: Yeah, it was like yes. the very beginning of season three. I believe it's the first episode is Malcolm uh, brainwashes the? Uh, yeah, yes, yes. to yes. kill right. Sarah to control her.
1: So killed, killed off yeah. uh, out the game pretty quick in season three and is resurrected and because there we there. live in an age where we can do this is resurrected through a, the use of a Lazarus pit. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I can say there is a show, a long running, very popular uh, drama on television in which a major character was resurrected with a Lazarus pit. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But we've set up Sarah, and we've set her up now on a bit of a redemption arc. We introduce, I think, right up top in season three, maybe in the season three premiere, yeah. we introduce Dr. Ray Palmer. Yeah, Ray by, Palmer is in the uh, premiere yes, as well. Yeah. Played by Brandon Routh, who if you, obviously now you you know who that character is, but if you were just catching this character for the first time on Arrow in that that third season premiere, you maybe wouldn't know that Ray Palmer is the Atom. They, right. they tease out the Atom technology for quite a bit, and it's not till Ray himself is presumed dead that you find out, oh, he actually, he, he'd get tiny now. Yes.
2: Oh, wait, and, and I feel like they did that because he was initially supposed to be Ted Kord, Blue Beetle. Yeah. Yes. yeah.
0: Um. So yes, the backstory story of that is he was supposed to be the Blue Beetle, but they couldn't get the rights
1: um, Isn't it because I think it probably yeah. has to do with the fact that the movie arm has been trying to develop some type of Booster Gold Blue Beetle project yeah. for right. years?
0: Yes. So then at the last minute, they essentially changed his character to be um, uh, Ray Palmer. Uh, Basically, same template, essentially. A uh, guy who owns business, uh, has mm-hmm. lots of money, is an in- inventor. Very smart, no. socially yes. awkward. Right. Um, Super attractive. And
1: oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say so you set up Ray in that way, and you have him as a, a romantic foil for Felicity. I still maintain. Now, I think, obviously, uh, Emily Bett Records and Stephen Amell have just buckets and buckets and buckets of chemistry. For a long time, I was like, I want her to end up with Ray, oh, even yeah. though Ray is weird and a little stalkery. The two of them, like I remember that's, when we did sexy. the that's uh, sexy The
2: weird and a little stalkery is just if you look like Brandon, it's okay. It's called we, Dobbler versus Dahmer. And he
1: did it in did it in Superman too, mm-hmm. so that's like his thing in superhero things. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, watching the two of them together, and I remember talking about this when we did the uh, Arrow after show for that season. The two of them together, they're patter, they're back and forth. Felt to me so much like watching a 1940s screwball comedy. And I loved every bit. Of that, yeah, it's- I
2: shipped them up until like very recently. Over Oliver, even though I like Oliver with Felicity, I always felt like she was too good for him. But the <laughs> transition, the uh, transition that Oliver has made in the last two seasons, makes them a better fit. And then I like Ray on the Legends; he's the little mother hen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that takes a really good way to describe. It and mother hen. I came
2: up with a brilliant movie idea from the Booster Gold Blue Beetle movie. I think we need it needs to be Booster and Ted. And it's basically Bill and Ted, starring Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion. Alan. I, I don't know which one would be booster. They'd both be pretty good. But like I feel like, you know, I feel I like, feel Nathan, like Nathan would Nathan be booster and, his booster. and then, and and uh, then uh, Ted would be Alan Tudyk, And yeah. that needs to be a movie, Hollywood. I would <laughs> I
1: would watch I would give I would give I would, I would give buy a ticket money. right now. If you told me that you were going to make that movie, if you assured me it would happen, I would buy like five tickets right now without a frame being shot.
2: I just had to get that out before I thought about it for the rest That's of this right. podcast. And <laughs> so lowly Hollywood listens
1: like, to this podcast. Yeah.
2: So we're quietly they do.
1: we're very organically in introducing these characters into the world and we're adding them to a massive, massive roster that already includes from The Flash. You've already introduced uh, Mick Rory and Leonard Snark, Captain (laughs) Cold and Heatwave. You've introduced now... Martin Stein and Firestorm, and obviously half of Firestorm uh, passes away very tragically, and you introduce uh, Jefferson he Jackson
2: to be. Do the X Files. Right. It, it really was. It really, oh, yeah. Sorry, no, Robbie Mel wanted to go do that.
1: <laughs> yes, sorry. Robbie Mel wanted to go do the uh, X Files revival, and who can blame him? Yeah. And so uh, Ronnie Raymond is uh, off and they introduce Jefferson Jackson to be the second half of Firestorm, and all of these characters are set up for you. Yeah. Right. You don't have to force new characters into existence. Even Rip Hunter in the season one finale of the flash (laughs) gets a shout out by name. Uh, I think he's talking about the the time device, right? Thawne is talking about the time device and he references like, this is just like the one Rip Hunter would use something like that. Yeah. Um, So you've introduced the idea that all of these characters already exist. They already have a role in this universe. They already have relationships in this universe. All of these characters are really popular. What happens if we throw these personalities together? What the heck would that be like? Mm-hmm, and so,
0: and Legends was originally supposed to be an anthology series uh, where each season we focus on a different set of heroes.
1: I remember that, yeah. and I, like, yes. going into season two, I was like, I guess they aren't doing that, which is great because I love this Yeah, team. I, I like the yeah.
2: dynamic of the team, yeah.
1: I think that they realized
0: that the dynamic of the team and, and their chemistry was what most people were tuning in for. the The first season uh like or dislike the overall storytelling you can't deny that they there was a certain uh i guess energy that came from this team and so they decided to let it roll through through the next season
1: yeah and so we set up legends of tomorrow in that two part crossover where we've we've established on flash i think we established uh, kendra who turns out to be hawkgirl so we established these like the thanagarian hawk people yeah. on I think uh, more or less on The Flash before we move into that two-part crossover where I think... We don't introduce Hawkman until the crossover, right?
2: Yeah, uh, I correct. don't think he comes in until then. Yeah. So we
1: set up the Hawks. I think we set up the idea of Vandal Savage around yeah, the same... No, they fight Vandal Savage in that little crossover, don't they fight Vandal Savage in that one. Um, so they team up to fight... And again, the fact that Vandal Savage was a primary antagonist for an entire season of a show because he wants to kill the Hawk people is bonkers. It's a magical time to be alive in that sense. Even though I think... There was a range to the effectiveness of Vandal Savage as an antagonist. Yeah. I think uh, th- just the fact that it exists is is mind bending. But, so but he we makes set a good
2: tuna casserole. The meanest <laughs> evil casserole
1: that, that money can buy. Um, but we use that to set up the idea of this other team that would fly around on a time-traveling spaceship. Mm-hmm.
2: And what could go wrong there? I mean, like, the premise itself is goofy, but that's what why I like Legends, is because they really can take risk because it is just meant to be the fun show. And, it feels and that's like the party show. There are a lot of times where storylines may not always be perfect, like we say with the Vandal Savage one, but we got Ray eating his casserole, like <laughs> and just like ah, no, say what you will about the man, but he makes a mean casserole. Like little moments like that, we couldn't have on Arrow. And finally, <laughs> yeah. once
1: once you refine your approach and you figure out how to lean into everybody's uh, ability, skill sets, personalities in terms of writing for your cast you can then move into telling stories like the Legends versus the Legion of Doom over the Spear of Destiny in Season 2. The fact that that exists and the fact that even by Season 2 of Legends of Tomorrow... Over many seasons of programming, you now have a roster of villains, not just uh, for one show, but you have a roster of villains that are antagonizing characters over all of these shows. So you can then have your Eobard Thawne and your Damian Dark and your Malcolm Merlin team up and it actually means something Mm -hmm. because you've spent so much time with these characters already.
2: And too, it's just like without Legends of Tomorrow, we couldn't have had that team that was so much fun because... Damian, Damien Dark and Malcolm kind of worked together on Arrow, but they couldn't have that goofy relationship because that's not the tone of that show. And that's why I like that these shows have their different tones. Because when you see somebody like Damien Dark, that's such a cool villain, but he's hokey and you're like, this is not really Arrow, but we like this guy. Let's put him over here. And I felt like it worked so much. And, you know, we still have him today. And, yeah. and
1: through Legends of Tomorrow, because it is such a fun, crazy, semi-chaotic party show, and because you are operating because of the technology at their disposal, you're really operating outside of the rules of time and space that, Even The Flash, with all of the time travel tomfoolery, has to adhere a little bit more closely to, you can start to pull the deepest of deep cuts from all over the DC universe. That's how you get to the Justice Society of America. That's how you really get Vixen in some form involved in these stories. That's how you get uh, uh, Citizen Steel involved in some of these stories. That's how you pull in our boy John Constantine, who we should shout out got uh, a season of his own show on NBC, NBC, yes, which was an odd—it was a choice I didn't fully understand. I think it's
0: just like how uh, Supergirl ended mm-hmm. up on CBS, in that these network shows have a higher budget, and so like if you're pitching across the different uh, networks, then you're going to go with what's my, what will allow you to do more financially. And I think that like with shows like Grimm and yeah. like uh, Once Upon a Time they felt like it would fit more on that network since it had a darker tone.
2: And that was the thing is Constantine was paired with Grimm. And yeah. that was the thing is they thought, well, this is sort of the same audience. Because I, too, watched Grimm and was so glad that I'm like, oh, this is actually my favorite comic book character. John Constantine getting his show. And it comes on after Grimm. So I actually watched all this show and was very angry that no one else did. But it, I agree that because it was on NBC, it wasn't as dirty as the comic. It felt very
1: sanitized. I mean,
2: and that's the thing, is now that we have Preacher on AMC, is the time to do a live-action comic uh, adaptation of Hellblazer on AMC. But at that time, that didn't exist. So this was sort of their watered-down version. But there are so many good parts of that show. Well, Matt
1: Ryan in particular as Constantine. He
2: is perfect for that role. And this is somebody who wasn't really, you know, knowledgeable about the character until then. But he did his research. And that, you know, is why that character was so good. But, I mean, it was hard to see when he can't smoke.
1: Right. And and even though that show had a very mixed reception and didn't last, it was pretty unanimously agreed upon that Matt Ryan would make a a dang near ideal Constantine if he was allowed to to fully stretch and be that character a little bit more than the, the sanitized version on ABC, NBC, sorry, uh, allowed him to be, but the, re- the reception of that character and that version of that character was such that the, the like Berlantian co running the CW universe grabbed him. They pulled him in. And so we got him for an episode on arrow, uh, involving the resurrection of Sarah Lance And then we are going to get him on Legends of Tomorrow as well, which makes a great deal of sense, especially now that this season they're facing a threat, a a villainous team-up that seems very heavily magic-based. Constantine's like your dude that you call. And again, the fact that all of this is going on and we're pulling in Constantine, so we're pulling in now elements of the DC Dark Universe, that's bonkers and wonderful.
2: And and that's the thing. And too, if you're listening to this when it comes out on Tuesday, December... um... Fifth, yeah, Tuesday, December fifth. Uh, we will be recapping Legends of Tomorrow, uh, the episode nine of this season. That's Next right, so the much. mid-season yeah. finale,
1: I think, where Constantine does make his make
2: appearance. his first appearance on Legends, which they've been trying to get for since season one. Because I remember whenever we interviewed Sarah Nicole Jones and I talked to her personally about like they've been working on this. It's, since like, it's then. like we'd
1: love to. We're just trying to figure out how to make how it to work. get
2: it in, and that's the thing. And this is the thing: is is people like me, who are love this character, love Mount Ryan's portrayal, just want to see it, and they're making it happen. That's why I love these shows, is because they're trying to make Everybody happy. And they really make do it seem to listen to their well. fans yeah. as
1: well. And they try to in in whatever way they can, as long as it's organic and it makes sense, they really do try and pay attention and accommodate what their fans want and not at the expense of telling their stories.
2: And too, like with Constantine and Matt Ryan being uh our Constantine and coming from that, I hope that we get to see a few more people from that particular series that had name characters or at least some of the things. Like we saw Dr. Fate's Mask, which was a big deal. Gimme
1: give gimme give and- my Zatanna gimme my dead man, give me my swamp thing, oh, yeah. give me Oliphant, my Etrigan and the demon. Oh,
2: Oliphant as uh, dead man is my dream. But, but so, Mark Margolis from uh, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad fame, Hector was Felix Faust. That was what yeah. I was like, yeah, that already existed on that show. Why don't we just have that?
1: Oh, I would love Mark Margolis mm-hmm. as Felix Faust on one of these shows. Um, But so while you've got all this going on, yeah, CBS introduces Supergirl from the same team, but ostensibly not in the same universe. And right. then very near The end of that season, they go, all right, well, we're on a couple different networks. Let's see if everybody will make this leap with us. Mm -hmm. We're going to port the Flash over to Supergirl for an episode, and we're going to tell everybody that Supergirl is in the same universe or the same multiverse, rather, just on a different Earth. That's a Mm big—especially when you're dealing with the CBS audience, which is a different— audience in theory mm-hmm. you're really asking them to take a leap with you at that point and the fact that it worked like that again is another thing that just makes my heart sing so loud and happily well
2: and <laughs> two while we got the flash we still did have i mean supergirl is an alien with all these strengths so we, it wasn't out of the realm to believe that this was a different earth in the context of the show but in this show the tone was similar in the flash and that's why i feel like those actually crossed over despite being on different networks So well And that first One episode
1: crossover Between those two shows Was such a fountain Of joy Mm -hmm. And the fact that Yeah the fact that They wanted to plant That flag as early on In Supergirl's run As they did I think that takes Some guts And I think it was A a very ballsy move That yeah I mean clearly clearly paid off. Real quick, if so- if somehow you don't know, Supergirl is Kara zor Superman's cousin, who was sent after him when Krypton was destroyed, the idea being you'll land where Cal uh, L lands, and you, because you're a little bit older, will look after him. You will help raise him, and you you will be his, his guide, essentially. But her pod gets knocked off course. She goes through like a wormhole of some kind. By the time she ends up on Earth, because of, of time shenanigans, Kal-El has been found by the Kents. He's become part of their family. He is Clark, and he has already become Superman. So her younger cousin is now her older cousin, and she, in a weird way, is almost following in his footsteps
0: mm-hmm. as yeah. this
1: aspirational hero. And I've said it before on some of the aftershows that we do, but in my opinion, what they're doing with Supergirl is far and away the best Live action, certainly incarnation of the Superman mythology since that original Donner movie.
2: Oh, I agree because it's very correct with the tone of the character of the true superhero and that, you know, she sacrifices everything to be Supergirl and truly is this 100% often at times you know all in on being this hero which we don't always see from our other heroes we then that's what we're dealing with in Kara and that was sort of her journey on Crisis X is sort of realizing that she is human too and does you know is not just Supergirl and that's what I love about this show is like that's who Superman's supposed to be but we don't don't really get to see that. I mean, I will say Smallville, in a way, portrayed that a little bit better than um, even the movies recently. I mean, but yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But but so, uh, in this conversation, I'm, I'm having a moment where it was the same thing that happened to me when I first saw that one episode crossover. I took a step back, and I thought back on the first season of Arrow, and I went, good God, look at how far we... Let's came in just a couple of years <laughs> mm-hmm. like once we opened up this world to metahumans uh, speed force the multiverse time travel all of it it did not take very long for that damn to burst completely in the most wonderful world. and yeah. that
2: wonderful way of martian manhunter mm, yeah, yeah not for nothing yeah, and they did, on really, television.
1: they did a really great job at keeping that under yeah. wraps and in season one of supergirl where this man who introduces himself to the characters and to us as Hank Henshaw is revealed to be John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. I I literally stood up out of my chair, put my arms up over my head because we were living in a beautiful golden age. And at that moment, (laughs) I was
2: behind on Supergirl until Frank told me Martian Manhunter just got revealed. And I was like, I have to watch all of this right now.
1: (laughs) And right. So now, now already, and this was, you know, now we're in season three of Supergirl. So this was two years ago. But already we are in a world now on TV where you've got, you've got your Flash and you've got your Martian Manhunter and you're alluding to other characters. You're alluding frequently to other A-list DC characters, even if only in a very roundabout way.
0: Right. Right. Because we've also, we've gotten references to Atlantis. We've gotten Thanagar. 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 Mm-hmm. Thanagar. We even, um, now we, this
1: season, we're going even harder yeah, with Themyscira. it. Yeah, we we Themyscira. We see Themyscira. Yes. Which looks, I loved too, that it aesthetically looks just like it does in the Wonder Woman movie. Mm-hmm. Right. That made me happy. We named Rob Bruce Wayne and Gotham City.
0: Exactly. in
1: yeah. In this season of Arrow. So I mean, and we see Superman. We've gotten a good amount of Superman in season two of Supergirl, right? And Tyler Hecklin, who when he was was originally cast, I didn't know. I knew him as the Teen Wolf guy, so I was like, "Really, the Teen Wolf guy?" And I saw set photos, and I was like, "I don't know. I don't know if I really like the look of him as Superman. I don't know if I buy this at all." Two minutes into his first scene as Superman, I was like, "Oh, that's." Superman. There he is. Mm -hmm. Like that's the Superman I've been missing on screen for years and years and years. Yeah.
2: And even though it was Kara and he was only seeing Zod, that Superman Zod fight was still just like is on TV. Right. (laughs) Like that's that's
1: consistently still. It's been six years that this universe has existed on television and I'm still constantly having my mind blown by the fact that we're We did a two-part Gorilla City story on Flash. Come on now. King Shark keeps showing up and he looks dope every single time. (laughs) Uh, uh, But so, okay. So we get to about the midpoint of last year.
0: Right. Yes. And so uh, at that point, we get a like a mini crossover with just the Flash and and Supergirl again. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, no. Before, before that, that, Invasion is before get, a, Duet uh, Invasion. Yes. So um, I've noticed I had to put together like a, a timeline of these, and it's always on episode eight of each season. Mm-hmm. You get the big crossovers, and so this is the first time we have. All um all the shows together at once. We have Supergirl who is brought over at the end of her episode, and we they, have... did, they
1: did really hype it as a four night crossover, but really it was a three night crossover and a little tag at the end of the Supergirl episode that yeah. leads you into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I imagine it was very last minute for the Supergirl people, so they're like, nah, whatever, we'll just throw it in. Oh, it was also Supergirl's uh, mid season finale. Um, Yeah, I think that was it. it That makes sense. They they decided to really focus in on what was happening there, and then at the end of that, pull her over and join Team Flash.
1: Because now the technology is in place, whether it's through actual machinery or through Cisco's developing power set as Vibe, it's now real easy to travel between different Earths, so much so that even though Supergirl... Technically, in a way, exist in another dimension. Yeah, it's they might as well be neighbors at this point. They just really pop much. back and forth. And, and as they need I to And that's why I wish
2: we had more interdimensional dating. You know, it's twenty seventeen, guys. Well, you know, Cisco's doing it with Gypsy, with but Gypsy,
1: and like we had a, a Wally and Jesse Quick for a minute. Yeah, there. a little bit. They weren't um, doing
2: it long distance, interdimensional.
1: But uh, yeah. but so we had an invasion crossover. An invasion is a is a pretty well known uh, DC comic story in which a race of malevolent aliens called the Dominators essentially try mm-hmm. and do, as their name would imply. Uh, dominate and lay waste to everything in their path. Yeah. They they try to build this alliance of some of the most uh, prominent alien tribes in the cosmic section of the DC universe. For this crossover, the Dominators come to Earth and all of our heroes from all four of these shows have to band together to fend off an alien invasion. Now, I had a blast with this crossover last year. So what I noticed, especially compared to this year's Crisis on Earth X, is last year's crossover had a lot of heavy lifting and additional baggage that they had to worry about that this year's crossover did not for example they had to introduce supergirl and in fact the concept of aliens to all of these other characters you had in the middle of your crossover uh the middle section of three arrows 100th episode it is an episode of arrow that i think is fantastic i think it's definitely it is
2: a, one of their best i think yeah. it
1: is a Truly great episode of that show. However, planting it right in the middle of the crossover does make your story feel overall a little bit disjointed. But I think even for that, it works beautifully as a way to kick open an entirely new door in this universe. Because now we're really opening up this idea of cosmic threats as well. Right.
0: Yeah. And uh, I feel like this was... An even better like this one, they had a lot more fun in terms of getting everyone together. Even even with like the additional like baggage pieces, there were a lot of good interactions between the different characters. And I felt like this was the first time I felt like the the threat was actually real. Like it was a in when we were fighting Vandal Savage. Um, yes, there is a scene where everyone gets destroyed. Um, but it still doesn't feel like there's a big realm of consequences, especially because at, we know that there is time travel. Right. But this is this well, time- and We
1: also know that it's unlikely that one of these shows is going to kill off literally the entire cast <laughs> midway through the season. You don't know.
0: There are multiple Earths. They could essentially be like, guess we're on Earth 17 now. They did
1: a no. weird version of that, though, in uh, season two of Legends of Tomorrow, where <laughs> through time travel- they all die like you watch them get slaughtered terribly but then because of time travel a different version of them is essentially able to step in and take their it's very it's actually weirdly Rick and Morty-ish uh, yes. they all they're all killed terribly and then another slightly just a hair time displaced version of them yeah. steps in and just takes their place
2: that's it's, actually one of my favorites because it's it has really to do dark with, yeah because they're like oh basically we watch ourselves die it's all of us
1: super super dark and then so if you think 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 about it, the legends that we're following now are only sort of the legends that we met. Yeah. Weird business. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, That's so why I'm
2: Ray just, was so well adjusted with, the felici- with all, yeah, all of no her kidding. Felicity. He was like, it's like, well, yeah. well I, I watched
1: myself die that one time. Uh, and yeah, like
2: that was a different me. Like totally I fine. Slightly, I was kept yeah. in a little
1: box by Damien Dark and he poked at me for like a whole year. That was a bummer. I'm fine. Um, <laughs> and they
2: made him the janitor. <laughs> they made me the janitor that one time. But I
1: made those vents really big and yeah. they're still really big. So that was a win for Ray. And if uh, you don't
2: follow <laughs> us on other shows, that's a bit from how I explained why the event's were so big they have
1: weirdly oversized <laughs> yeah. ventilation ducts in star labs as it turns out they're like hallways oh, uh, and that was
2: Ray's doing when uh, during doom world is how i explained it
1: this is a uh, head
2: um
1: but okay so Fact. i'm sorry tari you were saying about <laughs> the, the, the threat the stakes feeling higher the threat feeling more imminent and real yes
0: um which was nice because it justified the need for them to get the full team because at this point um we have a lot of heavy hitters. We have Supergirl, who is basically invulnerable. We have Firestorm, who can transmute anything and is basically a walking um, nuclear reactor. reactor. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have I, I don't remember if Martian Manhunter was. He's not really
1: no, involved. They in never he's involved, let him do it. He's involved in duet like he's uh, yeah. fighting with uh, Cisco right. at a certain point. Yeah. But yeah, you've but. got you've got your your godlike being. You've got your your team of rogues, including your flying nuclear reactor, you've got a speedster, the fastest man alive. You've got a dude who's real good at archery. So what are you <laughs> gonna what what threat is so big? So exactly
2: like the Avengers. <laughs> it's a lot like
1: the Avengers. So what uh what threat merits everybody getting together? Not just everybody that's in town, but literally pulling friends from a separate Earth. Yeah. What warrants getting everybody in one place? And it's
0: a worldwide invasion. Yes. Uh, which is the first that we've seen. Like, we've dealt with very specific enemies, but having to cover a world full of uh, aliens trying to take over was a great challenge, and having that those scenes where Barry and Supergirl have to go all across the globe using their speed um, really made it so you understood. Like I, I, I feel like in a lot of shows where you're getting a bunch of powerful people together, um, there is always this feeling that they will overcome it. And, well sure. Yeah. Well yeah. But like uh, or that they they brought too many guns to this knife fight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I felt like they had balanced it just enough. Yes.
2: And what I love is how much in Crisis on Earth X how they reference even the Dominator crossover and everything and all the little things. Well, like pulled, when we
1: meet we but we re meet Kara yeah. at the beginning of Crisis on Earth X she's fighting a Dominator. I yes. like that now Dominators are something we set up the Dominators so now periodically we can have Dominators pop up. Yeah,
2: like Ray took care of a baby Dominator that right, later in kills the past, him. Right. Right, there was time displays. we
1: like, didn't the Dominator show up on Flash or somewhere else after that?
2: Yeah, I think uh, it was in Super. Or on Girl Supergirl, was another
1: when, one. When uh, mon uh, uh, yeah. was on that alien ship. That's right. So yeah. that's right. That's right. So there were more Dominators there. She's still fighting Dominators on Supergirl. And we no longer have to explain what Dominators are. Mm-hmm. That's And again, watch that Arrow pilot. And then watch Crisis on Earth X. Good Lord. And speaking
2: <laughs> of Arrow, I mean, Oliver even calls back super Super speed. I don't, don't have, have it. it. Like y'all, go do your thing, but just don't leave me here, okay? Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, the flash could have taken him. I'm yeah. just saying, uh, uh, he, he totally could.
1: There, have
2: and him. there was a part of Barry that you know wanted to put him on his back and run with him because he said, "Damn, <laughs> even um, he got a little bit of a crush on him."
1: But so we we actually we actually did uh, really a three part three part and change invasion crossover and I feel like now once once you made invasion work I think you've proven that this audience is willing to go with you just about anywhere I feel like you you established even before we got to invasion that almost nothing was too comic booky to -hmm. be played with on these shows the same way that Marvel Studios is is taking those shots at the movies Um, and I, I pause just to point out how Insane it is in a wonderful way that uh, DC on TV and Marvel at the movies have effectively turned just about everybody... Into a comic book audience, and I don't just mean they love these characters and these stories and these worlds. I mean, if you're tracking all four of these shows, and if you're tracking all of the Marvel movies, it is essentially like keeping up with all of the interconnected stories in a in a comic book. Keeping
2: in- up with the comic books, guys. <sighs> Next year, I need. am gonna drink this <laughs>
1: arsenic now. Goodbye. Um, I'm gonna bite down on my tooth and be dead. Um, <laughs> the
2: but, cyanide uh, pills, Tommy
1: but the fact that uh the fact that it has it has trained general audiences to be able to track comic book stories told like comic book stories yeah that's that's crazy, and did it like people didn't even realize that's what was. Happen- they didn't realize they were being conditioned to be able to receive stories in this way <laughs> Don't
0: and the- say it like that.
2: Conditioned, <laughs> yeah, It
0: makes it seem like we are uh, hydra or we're something. We're like, being our- like you are being conditioned
1: to like. No, love Pavlovian conditioning, you know I mean?
2: which is more out of love, right? That's not yeah. what I
1: mean. I mean, no, I just mean like Pavlovian it, 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 is
2: loving condition, right?
1: They were able to teach people. I'll phrase it that way. They were able to teach people to be able to absorb a story in the way that comic book stories are told across entire company lines that's that's just nuts to me yeah like that's so and people will still people will still get weirdly dismissive about comic books as a form and will eat this shit up in other mediums and i don't get it never pause (laughs) if comic books aren't your thing that's fine. Nothing is for everybody and comic book audiences have always been smaller than movie audiences. I'm not mad at you if you don't like comic books. But if you are dismissive of comic books as a form, you sound just as silly as if you dismissed all movies, all music, all literature. It is an art form. It is no less valid than any other art form. I'm now stepping down off of my soapbox and sliding it back under the table. Mm
0: -hmm. Ah, how nice. Um, Yes, and I think that a lot of that uh, that you were saying the the teaching or conditioning, um, it was able to happen because these shows were created by heavy hitters heavy hitters in the comic community, and they were created with a certain amount of love and and I guess uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like um, loyalty and and just a respect for the source material. Yes.
1: Um, honor honor the source. And yes. you can you don't have to take yourself that seriously. In fact, a lot all of this stuff is inherently goofy on multiple levels. Ironically, the more seriously the more deadly serious you take yourself, the sillier it all becomes. Right. You can approach it you could take it very seriously and you can approach it completely earnestly. But you can still do it with a a lighter touch that I think makes it all a lot more palatable it's a lot easier to accept something that is on multiple levels very very goofy if you get a sense that the people telling the story are aware of the inherent silliness of many of these elements right you feel like you're in in more trustworthy hands at that point I think Mm
0: mm-hmm uh, so guys, uh, we are out of time. We got a real
1: quick reference to oh. the fact that we we jumped over Invasion to nod at the other uh, Flash Supergirl crossover we got last year, which was the one episode uh, musical, musical episode. duet, yeah. Yeah. which was wonderful. You had a song written by a couple couple covers, but also a song written by uh, Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also a song by the team that did all the music in La La Land, which uh, is called Running Home To You and it makes me cry every single time I watched that scene. In as the, it should.
2: Yeah. And then they, they again bring that back and then reprised Crisis on it Earth.
1: for the wedding. Yeah. And it made me cry again. I but but okay, so let's since we're running out of time, yeah. let's let's get back to not not to really break it down in too much detail. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody that, that hasn't seen Crisis on Earth X because even even though I think a lot of the surprises will be more impactful if you know the universe, I still think it's well worth checking out just as an individual movie. Uh It's exceptionally done. We talked about uh, Lucretia on our after show. I referenced the fact that it, well, we both referenced the fact Mm. that it made us think of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, partially because of certain plot related elements, but also for me, largely because, uh, as I said, I think James Gunn is a master of tonal balance and tonal control. And that's why Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, in my opinion, one of the funniest movies of this year also has one of the most emotionally impactful endings of any movie I've seen this year. It makes me laugh every time, and the ending makes me cry every single time I see it. It's really hard, really hard to do that in a way that feels organic, that doesn't feel choppy, that doesn't seem tonally ill-suited to itself. Gunn is a master of that. I'm seeing very similar mastery of tonal consistency, tonal command across Crisis of Earth X. And when you consider that it is four teams from four shows all working together in concert to tell one cohesive uh, two-and-a-half-hour story, that's mind-bogglingly impressive to me. And for that reason alone, I would recommend people check this out. Now, yes, again, a lot of the things that happen in it, will be more impactful if you know this world, these characters, their relationships. But even if you don't, I think it is worth checking this out because this is an example, much like a lot of Marvel Studios output, it is a a prime example for me of what comic book storytelling on screen can be at its finest.
2: yeah Yeah. i mean i don't think i could have said it better myself but if you want to hear like james gunn discuss how like tone is so important and that's why guardians is so good and i'd imagine that greg berlanti says the same thing i mean he talked about it on his on michael rosenbaum podcast a little bit and he's like you know guardians starts with you have this raccoon that is a freak of nature made and doesn't even want to exist you have to capture that tone by also recognizing this is a talking raccoon I, I mean love
1: and to, that is yeah I love James is, yeah. we're gonna wrap soon I swear to God yeah. uh, James Gunn's Twitter is a uh, yes. magical wonderland
0: oh, yeah.
1: and he got he had somebody uh, making some comment about and I'm gonna paraphrase uh, both of these but but only a bit uh, somebody talking about like like eventually we got to make one of these movies that like feels different right like aren't you getting it's like it feels mm. so repetitive we're making like these movies feel so similar over and over And over, like, when are we gonna get something that's like a diversion from that? And James Gunn was essentially like, um, the last one of these I made ended with a close up on a raccoon shedding a tear because he realizes for the first time that he can be loved and Mm -hmm. may be celebrated when he's gone, even though he's done bad things. What more different and out there and divergent are you looking for, for goodness sake? Um, Yes, but much like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I think Crisis on Earth X is a great, great, great example of what you can do when you are firing on all cylinders adapting a comic book universe to the screen.
2: Because I laughed, I cried, I cheered, I made some lewd comments. <laughs> we cu-
1: all the bases Surprising. are covered. Yeah. Three bases and then running home is the lewd comments.
2: Yeah, oh ah. no, sure, it wasn't that bow tie scene that I JFK'd <laughs> over and over. Back. To the left. <laughs> Back to the left. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining yeah. <laughs> us here on
0: Missing Out. Um, uh, if you have the chance, go on iTunes, uh, Google Play Store, Stitcher, and hit that subscribe button just so you can get this in your feed every Tuesday. Uh, and also, make sure to follow us on the Twitch Wars to know what we're covering each week. It's Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T, but also on our personal ones. Lex, where can they find you?
1: I am all over social media at the Lex Michael.
0: What about you, Lucretia Lyon?
2: Since I'm Lucretia Lyon, guys, you can always find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the internet, since there is only one.
0: Dope. And you can find me at Tari J, T A U R I J A Y. Uh, Thanks again for joining us here on Missing Out. Thank you for uh, engaging with us on the media of the socials. Great. Um, Cool. Bye.